Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. This is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. Uh, My goal is to find exceptional individuals that uh, I can ask questions of and they'll reveal things that you may not see in articles, you know, that have done about them, uh, videos they've been in, ask them questions where they say, that's a good question. And then I know we're getting to the good material. So that's my goal here. My, My guest is Brian McKelligan. He's the CEO of Akoya Biosciences. It's A-K-O-Y-A. We're going to be talking about uh, what's called the, what's called immuno-oncology. So I guess that's the interplay of the immune system as it relates to cancer, but he'll get into that. So, uh, Brian, thanks for coming. Thank you, Rich. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, so if, if you don't mind, what, what's the mission of uh, Akoya Biosciences? Um, yeah, so Akoya, as a company, our real mission here. Is, is to help those scientists that are working in academic biopharma or government research institutions to better understand the underpinnings and the pathophysiology of disease. And there's a lot of technologies that are deployed to do that. Um, and we can talk later about what's unique about our technology, but that is, that is our overarching mission. Much of our focus, given the nature of the technologies that we deploy, is really within this immuno-oncology field, this, this exploding um, therapeutic modality that that treats cancer by really unlocking the power of your immune system and inherent in in developing therapies new therapies advancing therapies in that realm inherent in in the development of those of those therapeutics is a need to really understand the most relevant biomarkers and and not just whether or not those those proteins uh, those RNA molecules or those mutations are present not not yes or no are they present or how much but actually where in the tissue they're present. Is it, is it inside the tumor? Is it in the surrounding stroma? And so our mission is to really deploy technologies that provide sort of next generation tissue analysis for those researchers working um, in those fields where those questions are paramount. So that, that's kind of an overarching summary of, of, of what we're trying to do is, is really serve those, those scientists and, and, and their needs, again, with a lot of focus in this field of immunology. I understand that the, uh, well, cancers, like to hide from the immune system. Somehow they're able to disguise themselves. So uh, immuno-oncology, what seeks to retrain the immune system so that it does recognize cancers and gets rid of them. Is that right? Yeah, there's certain, there's certain proteins, and proteins and certain pathways you may, you may have heard about. And these therapies that, that interrupt this checkpoint cascade, this ability for cancer to hide in plain sight, what these therapies are doing is they're they're shutting down those pathways, PD-1, PD-L1, and allowing um, and allowing the introduced therapies to to immediately recognize the presence um, of cancer as a foreign entity and then begin to attack it. And so, what you're seeing is just this explosion of clinical trials. You know, maybe it's one or two new trials a day that are really these combination therapies between existing drugs, existing antibodies in the market, clinical therapies, um, and new ones, trying to come up with the right combinations that that shut down this 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 checkpoint cascade 
that allows these cancers to effectively hide in plain sight. And, and in doing so, it's really revolutionizing you know, how, we're, how we're treating cancer, again, by, by levering, leveraging the power of your own immune system, you know, rather than treating you with, with you know, a pretty harsh therapeutic methodology. What are some of the, um, I don't know, the trade-offs or the difficulties in uh, activating the immune system to fight cancer? What's so hard about it? Well, I think the hard thing is that, you know, you and I, our bodies might recognize and present, you know, different proteins that our body might recognize as foreign. There's a lot of challenges in coming up with, and I don't want to pretend to be a um, a physician rather than a sort of a technologist, Sequoia is, but one of the one of the reasons why platforms like ours um, are, are gaining an increased presence is while these these therapies are incredibly powerful, and you you can some of the names you might recognize, K. Truda and Ativo from Merck and BMS. These are incredibly powerful therapies when they work, um, and when they don't work, um, it's it's incredibly expensive, and 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 you you, you sacrifice another therapeutic path, and so. The challenge we have right now with these these immunotherapies is the ability to predict whether or not a patient can respond is, is a little bit underwhelming right now. And companies like Agilent and Ventana have done an incredible job of coming out with um, with biomarker technologies that that predict whether or not a patient will respond. Will respond, but they're just not powerful enough. If 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 I if I test you for uh, for one of these biomarkers, PDO1, for example, and you're positive for it, your chances of responding are maybe 30 or 40 percent. If you're negative to that that biomarker, um, indicating that you're not going to respond, your chances of, of responding are still 10 percent. So the challenge we have is is that these therapies are incredibly expensive, and so coming up with um, more predictive biomarkers would would be an incredible boon for the patients, for the health economics and for the continued advancement of the field. So, so we're working with our customers to try to better understand that tumor environment, that tumor microenvironment, uh, to, to help them come up with more predictive biomarkers. So if you walk in the door um, at a Memorial Sloan or a Dana-Farber or, or UT, and they're gonna run a biomarker test that potentially puts you on one of these powerful therapies, uh, that it's a lot more predictive um, and that, that you know you're making the right therapeutic decision with your physician. hundreds at least hundreds of biomarkers, how do you know where to look? Is there a tool that guides you or some kind of uh, heuristic? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, I think what, what you're seeing in the market is suites of technologies. You know, I'd like to sit here and say that Okoye is the only thing that people need and need to use. But what you're seeing are, are, are suites of technologies that are people that people are deploying to try to better understand which, which proteins, which DNA mutations, which RNAs are expressed, the, what are the technologies that are most predictive? And generally on this sort of biomarker development continuum, to simplify it, you have a couple of phases. Phase one is truly exploratory. And with that, you need to look at as many markers as possible. So you might, you might take a, 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 a series of tumor samples and run um, whole genome sequencing on them. You might do single cell art with, with a Illumina or a or an ion-torrent thermofissures. You might do single RNA analysis using something like um, a company called 10X Genomics in, in Northern California. And then where Akoya steps in is, is looking at the protein. And so what we, what we try to deploy for those scientists are solutions that allow you to look at a tissue and not look at one or two biomarkers, but look at 30 or 40 or 50 standard technologies to analyze a tissue. Um, if you go into a doctor, right now and they take a biopsy 
and I want to look at a, at a protein a protein marker. Usually one, two, maybe three biomarkers you can look at at the same time. Maybe just to pause for a minute on my storyline, just to give a little bit of background. So the technologies that are deployed for histology, looking at a biopsy, looking at a tissue sample on a slide, um, historically one, two, three um, proteins at a time. So, so we can sequence your genome for under $1,000, which is amazing, but we, we're still you know, using technology that's 20, 30 years old to, to look at tissue samples. And so what Akoya brings to the market are our next generation tools to look at these tissues. So immunohistochemistry is using immunoantibodies um, to look at cells on, on a tissue. And so what, what Akoya is, is deploying as part of this exploratory biomarker phase is a technology um, that came out of Dr. Gary Nolan's lab at Stanford called Codex. And this allows you to look at 30 or 40 um, or 50 different proteins on a single tissue slide and maintain that tissue integrity so you not only know where those proteins are present, but how much. So that is a discovery phase of, of biomarker um, development. And then once you know the, the, key, the key biomarkers you want to look at, now you're going to pivot to look at a large population, a, a larger clinical study. Maybe it's hundreds to thousands of samples. And for that, you really need a high throughput engine. And that's where one of our other techniques steps in to really do this. So It's been noticed when, um, when you look at a tissue, even the, the ones you've looked at, you know, and you see the, the patterning various proteins and biomarker expression of the tissue. I mean, I'm sure new things have been noticed that weren't noticed before. Do you know what they are? Yeah. So, you know, there's some of the, some th interesting things that are getting revealed at a, at a recent conference at the end of last year. Some of our, one of our partners presented a really powerful study looking at melanomacy, identifying a number of proteins that, that together, when you look at their level of expression, low, medium, high to simplify and their location, provide hope that we'll, we'll be able to predict outcome of therapy using these, you know, six or seven biomarkers. Before, we weren't able to really predict one's outcome. And so, you know, what this affords us to do, you know, again, there's a lot more work to be done, but but what, what our colleagues, um, Drew Pardo and Janice Tao presented at, at it's a, um, a conference last uh, November, I believe, are really some interesting studies that, that look at these, these biomarkers their their presence, their expression levels, and their location, um, and provided some really interesting insights on our ability to predict whether or not they're going to respond to therapy, and that and that's what's needed um, in, in in the market with these IO therapy. Any sense of how predictive um, what you're seeing will be? No, not yet. I mean, uh, we have indications, but I think um, you know we'll leave that to our our scientists at Hopkins to 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 get to that that level of conclusion. I think we're there, there's there's a there's a number of avenues right now in melanoma, in breast cancer, um, in dermatological disease. You know certainly the coronavirus. The technologies that that Akoya is deploying to market are fairly new and novel, just a couple of years old. And so we're just beginning to scratch the surface of the power of what we call spatial biology, and that's what this is. It's a new concept in biomarkers that that contemplates biomarker presence and location, and so. We're getting really powerful indications and a number of publications, two just came out over the last two days in, uh, in transplant medicine around the power of these biomarkers and their location in tissue as being predictive. So we're not yet at a point, Rich, where these are diagnostics. Obviously, that's, that's our longer term aim to continue to press our technology from 
um, exploring novel biomarkers using this concept of spatial biology to then further testing them in larger clinical samples to then deploying them in diagnostics. So we're really in those first one or two phases right now, Rich, not really yet at the realm of, of full diagnostics. So you know, I think that's, that's the hope for the company. When we went out and, and, and sought you know, additional funding at this time last year, that's really a key to our story is, is that Mokoya is marching down at Bell Partners. And that's one of the reasons that, you know, that Agilent, I, I hope, in, invested. Find that, um, I don't know, biomarker concentration of something, um, you know, falls off as you get away from the center of, uh, you know, of a tumor. What does that tell you? You know, if it has a certain directionality to it or a change in concentration, like what have you seen so far that you can comment on and what does that seem to be telling you even though it hasn't been proven yet so um what's important is is that you need a, a protein and its receptor you need the right cell types um present in within the tumor environment and not necessarily measuring it in in, in the surrounding stroma. so so really that's I, that's really at the core that you know um is is identifying the relevant markers um and coming up with computable spatial metrics that give you a sense that, yes, these markers are present. That's the underlying biology. Therefore, it needs to be in this location, you know, proximal to these other cell types. So one of our partners, as an example, uh, that's working in breast cancer um, and trying to really change the, the mode and to oversimplify a bit, just trying to change the, the standard of care for, for breast cancer, um, they've got I think something like 15 different markers that they're looking at with, within a breast cancer biopsy. And with those markers, they have, you know, dozens of, of proximal measurements of this marker and, and its distance to that, to, to another relevant marker because of the biology. And so they come up with this fairly complex um, framework of, of computable distant measurements that, that in aggregate come up with, have some predictive power. And that, that I think the, the future of spatial biology in the biomarker market. So if you look, for example, historically at what, what you know, revolutionary companies like Genomic Health, now part of Exact Sciences, have done, is they came up with a method to look at 20, 25 different RNA markers and have something called a recurrence score that's going to predict, you know, your response to certain cancer drugs. And, and that was a, a computable metric, metric based on RNA expression. And I think where we're going by comparison we hope is um, getting to a point where the computed metrics are now distance measurements between cell types and the relevant biomarkers that can predict that some underlying biology is happening, like your body is or can respond uh, to, uh, to a tumor via um, a catalyst via an immune therapy. So that's, that's, kind, of a, that's kind, of a, kind of a general sweeping summary of how we think about biomarkers within the spatial biology context. What I'm imagining is you'll look at, I don't know, it, it may be spatial, it may not, but, you know, let's say you look at 30, 30 biomarkers, you'll probably be able to establish in these patients, there's a predominance of markers 1, 6, 9, and 13, and in these other patients, there's a predominance of 2, 4, 8, and 12. Therefore, it'll create uh, like clinical profiles that you'll treat differently based on not only the spacing, but again, the predominance and the concentration of certain biomarkers. And that probably would work a lot better in terms of treatment instead of just one, you know, shotgun blast of whatever drug it is. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's the hope. And if you take one step upstream towards the development of, the, of those biomarkers, what you need, well, so, so just back up. Imagine that, 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 that I've got, a, you know, melanoma and they take a biopsy and that biopsy then gets thinly sliced and placed on. That's what, that's what happens. Now, if you look at that slide under the microscope, um, you know, pathologists with their expert training can identify cell type. But if, if you're in a, a drug discovery environment or you're, you're a, you know, a professor in a research institute and you're trying to understand the evolution of cancer and how certain cancers like melanoma evolve over time, and perhaps you were trained as a cell biologist or in a field that's not pathology, you're not going to have that expert training to be able to understand visually by looking at a mic the microscope, all these different cell types. So there's, there's, there's also kind of a fundamental um, accelerant in terms of um, enabling these sort of immunohistochemistry, immunofluorescence to be used by scientists that are not expertly trained pathologists because we can come, with, come up with biomarkers that identify a T cell, they identify the B cell, they identify the macrophages, they identify the endothelial cells. We can come up with markers that identify all the cell types and through our software, we can label those cells. That's a B cell, that's a T cell. And so now what you have, and this is actually what our software does, now what you have is, is a, a slide that's been labeled with the actual cell types. So you can begin to visually and computationally um, make predictive decisions around across these cohort of samples, um, which are the most predictive biomarkers and what's happening to the underlying um, in the underlying cancer biology. So in addition to identifying the predictive biomarkers, which you, which you appropriately described, what's also needed are some of these fundamentals so that technologies like ours, um, like immunohistochemistry, like looking at, at tissue samples, can be broadly deployed and that power can be unlocked um, to a broader suite of scientists. And, and I think that's, that's what's making these, these sorts of spatial biology solutions you know, increasingly powerful. Thing that I mean, I know you can't look at everything. One thing I don't hear a lot is the a reference to the microbiome and the microbial attachment that it looks like uh, is next to all tissue. I mean, for instance, I interviewed a lady, Florencia McAllister, that looks at uh, pancreatic tumors, and she's saying that not only does the pancreas have a microbiome, but the tumors themselves have their own unique microbiome. So when you're doing histology on certain tissue, I don't know if you're able to see. If there's any microbes there, because what if the microbes are responsible for the predominance of a certain biomarker or not? What if they're interspersed within the tissue and there's a biofilm on the tissue or in the tissue that changes what is there? I mean, I don't even know if it's being looked for. And that may be very important. Yeah. So I, I think, um, you know, in short, um, are, are we working with customers right now to, to ask that, ask and answer that question? Um, I'd say not broadly. But, you know, our, our degree of excitement in, in leveraging our platform and working with scientists to address questions like that, obviously, that's where we want to go. We don't yet, I think, have a lot of data that we can deploy to answer the specific microbiome question. Um, but, but that's absolutely true. And, you know, the, one of the founders, the founder of the, one of our technologies I mentioned before, Dr. Gary Knoll, and he's, you know, he's, he's got some work in his lab where they're, they're looking at you leverage our, our technology to, to look at um, certainly infectious disease. And, and now more recently, there's some tweets you'll see from him looking at, at COVID. So I think certainly the technology can be deployed to do that, but but not to the extent yet. But the point is that you're making is that your analysis and your histology will be so much better than what's out there. It should help tremendously, right? 
I mean, yeah, I think our, our basic point here is that is that um, to, to draw a poor analogy, since we're all stay at home these days, um, our, 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 you know, our cellular environment doesn't work like we act right now, sitting in our houses by ourselves. There's there's profound there's interactions happening on a single cell level that in order to appropriately measure them, you have to measure the expression and presence of these proteins and of the transcripts while maintaining that tissue integrity, like I said, so you know not only what is present, but where it's present. And that, that really is the, that really is now the third axis of biomarkers, you know, presence, abundance, and location. Um, and I, I, that, that's really been the evolution of, that's this term spatial biology, that's why it's increasingly important. And I think that, I think that over time, it's just gonna continue to explode this, this triple axis of, of biomarker discovery and, um, and diagnostic. So you said Akoya is in the early stages. What's the roadmap look like for the next few years? How long till this analysis would appear in, in uh, clinical use? So, um, so we've, got, um, we've got a number of partners at large academic institutions that are, that are deploying this across large-scale clinical trials. We have a number of our technologies that are broadly deployed farther upstream in, in the discovery environment. So, so it's, it's already being utilized within the clinical trial environment. So at what point do you think, you know, you or I could walk into a, a physician's office and our technology will be as part of formal diagnostic use? I think that's still a few years away. You're on the path, so that, that's great. So what uh, specific types of conditions do you think this will be most amenable to? Are there certain cancers like melanoma you mentioned a few times, or is that just your focus, or do you think this will be useful for any type of, of cancer? So, so generally, you know, the, the, the underlying technology for, for, for our spatial biology solution, multiplex immunofluorescence, multi meaning a lot, immuno meaning, meaning antibody, to look at proteins and tissue, and fluorescence meaning that's how we detect it, so multiplex immunofluorescence. Um, I'd say that the tip of the spear for us in terms of how it's being deployed is really within, within solid tumors where these immuno-oncology therapies is, is the modality. So that lung melanoma, I think right now there's about 14 different, different cancers, and breast cancer. So that, that's really the tip of the spear, but you know, we're, we're seeing the deployment of our solutions getting wider and wider with each passing month and quarter. Um, it certainly has applicability, as I said, to dermatological diseases um, in in transplant medicine, where immunoresponse, um, similar to immuno-oncology, is really relevant. Um, I think the applications in the neurological space are profound. We have a number of customers using it that way. Um, and then over time, I, I think you'll see it as cell therapies begin to explode onto the market, particularly those that are that are coming out of um, stem cell therapies, where you really want to measure not only the cellular state because we're we're differentiating these cells, but also whether or not they're they're getting taken up by tissue and the response they're having. So there's there's a number of different therapy areas where we have relevance. But to your question, immuno oncology, lung melanoma, I think those are really the tips of the spear. What's the best way for people to find out more and keep tabs on Acquia and what you're doing? Well, I, I think the best way is is to go to um, AcquiaBiosciences.com and take a look at our web. You know, we try to we try to do a blog um, on a regular basis. Provides some, some good context around how people are using our our technology and and areas it's being deployed. I think it's best probably the best way. Yeah. Any final words that you want to say about this? 
you know, I appreciate, appreciate your time. And I, I think the final words is that, you know, the, the technologists and the scientists that are coming up with revolutionary therapies like the immuno-oncology drug we've talked about, um, you know, equally need technologies to identify the relevant biomarkers to, to further, further catalyze that work. And ultimately, that's what we're trying to do is, is help those scientists to help patients. And, you know, that, that's our goal as a company. And if we keep our eye on that, we'll be successful. Ryan McKelligan, CEO of Coyo Biosciences. Thank you for coming. Hi, Rich. Appreciate it. Stay well. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.